welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. My name is Adam Woodhall and today I am delighted to invite Willem van Husselt to join me from the Solar Impulse Foundation. Welcome, Willem. Hi, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm particularly excited today because I would say that Solar Impulse Foundation is actually something that is a real amazing game changer. And the theme of this podcast is actually game changers because not only is the organization a game changer, but also they celebrate and promote game changers themselves. So in fact, they're kind of game changers squared. Willem, your role is as uh, investor relations manager. Can you just give us for the listeners a very quick kind of headline of what the Solar Impulse Foundation is? Yeah, sure. So the Solar Impulse Foundation really is I would say the um, initiative that follows the first uh, big stage of this project, which was the round the world tour in, a, in the first ever solar airplane, uh, the first airplane of p- perpetual endurance. Um, it was a project um, imagined by Bertrand Picard, a psychiatrist and explorer. And his idea was very much to promote the vision of clean technologies existing and being pushed to the limits. And if they can be pushed to the limits, then surely they can be applied on the ground. And the Solar Impulse Foundation is actually the sequel to this huge success and to actually source and evaluate all these solutions that are out there and bring them to governments and encourage policymakers and decision makers, whether financial or political, to take much bolder decisions and environmental policies. Yeah, that's great. And, and we actually met at uh, a day where the lots of clean tech ventures were being highlighted. It, uh, appropriately, the day was called Clean Tech Venture Day, which was in London, run by uh, Cambridge Clean Tech. So I was very happy that they uh, both uh, gave you the platform to present yourself there, where I was inspired by that uh, message. And then also there was other, they had about 20 odd clean tech ventures, some of which I think are actually on your platform, aren't they? Absolutely. And um, it was al- it's always a pleasure. And that's one of the ways we work is to um, create collaborations with initiatives like uh, the Clean Tech Venture Day and, and Cambridge Clean Techs, uh, the, or the organizers, um, to, to create opportunities for our members. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that in, uh, after I, uh, I'm assuming. Um, but to really create opportunities for those entrepreneurs, for those solutions, for those um, small and big enterprises trying to bring solutions to the world which are both sustainable but also profitable. Great. We've got a really nice introduction. Hopefully the listeners have I've whetted your appetite, listener, for uh, the rest of the conversation. Just to let you know that if this is the first time you've listened to the Inspiring Sustainability podcast, uh, you're very welcome to go and find the inspiring-sustainability.com website where you can find all my productions. Uh, plus, you can find it uh, on the uh, your favorite uh, podcasting app, as well as uh, you can find me, Adam Woodhall, online uh, by just typing Adam Woodall into Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, Google, um, and I'll be there. And I'd love to hear any feedback from any of the uh, listeners about uh, what they've enjoyed, and or you could just subscribe to the, the podcast. So, coming back to you, Willem. I know actually that obviously the Solar Impulse Foundation does have a really interesting history. So it'd be good just to kind of go back, not and to before actually the uh, the plane took off, to maybe let us know uh, how this kind of the the kind of genesis of this initiative, where it all came from um, at the start. Sure. This, uh, as I mentioned, um, the the initiatives of Solar Impulse Foundation and the Solar Impulse Airplane Project was launched by Bertrand Picard 
who is a psychiatrist and he's a Swiss gentleman. And he was somebody who he comes from a family of explorers and pioneers. Um, so his grandfather was a physicist who invented the, uh, the pressurized cabin and saw the curvature of the earth uh, for the first time in humanity when he ascended to the stratosphere. His father was the first person to go down to the Mariana Trench um, and uh, see life there, which convinced people not to dump nuclear waste in the sea. And Bertrand um, himself was the first person to circumnavigate the globe in a hot air balloon. And actually, maybe that's also where we take a step back and think where this solar impulse project came from. It came from when he, on his third attempt, together with Ryan Jones, he uh, circumnavigated the globe, landed in the Egyptian deserts, and realized that actually he only had about 40 kilos of, um, of propane left of the several tons he was carrying with him. And this realization of dependency on fossil fuel also prompted him to say, what if we went around the world without a single drop of fossil fuel and did it purely on the energy of the sun using the smartest, the best and the most innovative technologies? And that's where the, the idea started. Now, the interesting thing is that, uh, and you interrupt me if, if I'm talking too much, uh, Adam, but uh, the interesting thing is that this plan started with an idea and an artist impression of what a plane of such capacity and perpetual endurance might look like. And they went to do a feasibility study to see, you know, if it was possible. And they say, yes, of course it's possible. It would be a size, you know, the wingspan of a jumbo jet with the weight of a family car and the power of an electric scooter. So you can imagine that a lot of people were like translating that into, of course, that's impossible. And that's where the challenge started. Well, I think what's really interesting is obviously how uh, throughout the history of not just uh, modern society, but uh, long term society is that how people, adventurers, um, have turned the uh, impossible into possible. One of the, the great things about this is it, it's, this, it's got so many deep messages about what they have achieved here, because there's a lot of people which even... Five years ago, definitely 10 years ago, were saying that uh, we were going to be dependent on fossil fuel for a very long time, and particularly in flight. And what the solar impulse did was, was start to demonstrate that that was, uh, was a, an assumption which uh, we could challenge. And so tell me a bit more about what's been happening around the kind of electric planes sort of front, uh, because I know that things have been kind of moving on since Solar Impulse flew around the world nonstop. So I think that here at the Solar Impulse Foundation, we are taking a much broader approach to to clean technologies and really trying to support those efficient technologies that are also profitable because we want to demonstrate how profitable it is today to have technologies that are efficient and clean. But purely from the aviation perspective, I can tell you that the other pilot of the Solar Impulse plane, André Boschberg, started a company in electric aviation called H55. And that, um, for example, one of the results, you could say, was that EasyJet launched a electric aviation program in a a collaboration with Ride Electric, announcing uh, in September 2017 that they were going to make electric flights possible within a decade. So, you know, if you calculate back, that would mean that within eight years and 10 months or so, we would be sitting at least short hole in an electric airplane. So that makes it very tangible and hopeful as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, uh, again, where the kind of the game changer squared aspect comes in, because it, it actually shows that there's a, there's a real potential opportunity. And it's not just about well, if you can get a plane 
uh, electric powered, then what does that say about how, how it should be possible to get lots of other things being able to be powered in ways which are much less impactful on the environment? And that's the key thing. It's not just about anti-fossil fuel, it's about taking care of our environment through clean technologies. So yeah, absolutely, that I, uh, it's obviously the inspiration of uh, what this is, and it's named after it, is the, the solar impulse. But what is so fascinating about what the foundation is looking to achieve is it's kind of the big picture of what you're doing. So give us a bit more luster to that big picture of what the foundation is looking to achieve. Sure. So maybe maybe the theme of impossibility is an interesting uh, bridge here because, um, you know, we you go back to the reaction of the general public saying, well, actually, this is going to be impossible. And I think one of the... <laughs> things that was done was made a press announcement that that um, they were going to go around the world in a in a solar airplane and so therefore they were stuck with it and it, it, it would have to happen and the the interesting thing is that so many years later Bertrand was flying over the Pacific with his solar airplane making no noise no pollution and he was realizing that First, he thought, I'm living science fiction. But in fact, you realize that science fiction is, you know, has nothing to do with it. It's the reality of today. It's the, the technologies of today allow us to do today. So these technologies are there. They exist. And why aren't we implementing them? So that's very much at the core of what the Solar Impulse Foundation is trying to, to do, to change the mindset, trying to change and convince policymakers and decision makers, because the technologies that are existing today would allow us to cut carbon emissions, sorry, CO2 emissions by uh, in half, and we're not doing it. It's very much this challenge that resulted from that, which is the challenge to find 1,000, not 100, just 1,000 solutions that are both profitable and that are sustainable, have a positive impact on the environment. And it's bringing this portfolio to the governments and proving to them, look, you have those 1,000 solutions here. You, they are ready to be used. They will maybe warrant an investment, but they will pay for themselves ultimately because, you know, you will have better efficiencies. You will save money on your operational costs. And that's really the idea. But people don't want to put the upfront investment in because they are stuck in their budgets or they're stuck in, you know, their old ways of thinking. There are all sorts of reasons. And it's really about changing that mindset. Great. And I mean, that's uh, what I'm personally very passionate about. So that's why I was so happy when you agreed to uh, do this podcast. So obviously you're talking about profitability, how it can be cost savings, etc. Are you also talking about that the, the enterprises themselves, those thousand solutions, are, are you, is your intention that they're profitable enterprises themselves? Yeah, so essentially what we've done is so, we, you know, you can't just go around and, and shop around for a thousand solutions and say, oh, I like this, I like that. Um, there needs to be like a thorough methodology, uh, which we've developed, in fact, and we've decided to actually make that methodology culminate into a label, which we credit to solutions, not to enterprises, but to solutions, which are deposited by the startups or SMEs or even large corporates, it doesn't matter because we're all about the solution. And we evaluate through the means of independent experts who are going to look at these solutions and are going to look whether these solutions are technologically feasible and scalable. They're going to look at whether there's an economically viable business model behind it. And of course, they're going to look at whether the environmental and socioeconomic impact is positive. So these three criteria really are going to be reviewed. And at the hand of that, we accredit the label. And it's through this label that the solutions are going to be 
accumulated into this portfolio, which is slowly growing uh, to, towards 1,000. Right stuff. And with these solutions, what, why do you feel as though it's important for the enterprises themselves to be profitable? What, what is it about being profitable that is, is valuable uh, for that? There are, I think, with the, the rise of a new, I think the millennials taking over slowly but surely, there are a lot of initiatives that are promoting philanthropy. And there's a lot of goodwill in the world to put you know, money and give away money to, to good initiatives. But that is not going to suffice. So this is very much about convincing the people who are even the most fervent climate change deniers about the advantages of engaging with these technologies and solutions. Mm. Because there might be a whole lot of people that want to do something good for the environment, but there's also a whole lot of people that just don't care. They just don't care because they're just obsessed with their own greed or profitability, or maybe not even, maybe they're just stuck in old ways and they can't see the bigger picture. Mm. Whatever the case, people need to be incentivized. And it's very much... This idea of in the 70s, there was very much the language of the ecologists, the people who were sort of left wing hippies. So to brand them, you know, I mean, I, I don't like to, yeah. to put on these stereotypes, but just to to make it clear for the audience. I think now it's very much about understanding that the externalities that are related to climate change are factored into, you know, the economic business models. Yeah. And it is therefore really important to demonstrate that the solutions that have a positive impact on the environment are also those that are going to be profitable and sustainable in the long term. That's one of the things that brought me to this is that I think it's in the modern economy that we have and we've got to work with what we've got because of the timescales. It's really important to recognize that it's got to be profitable and ultra sustainable and uh, that the hand in hand is what's going to really drive the success of the sustainability. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, give me some ideas about uh, the uh, these uh, thousand that you're building. What what are the tangible examples of what you've got on the uh, on your platform? Maybe I can start by saying that working for the Solar Impulse Foundation is you know an amazing journey because you meet people everywhere who are in a spirit of collaboration, who are excited about doing something. And you meet the most amazing entrepreneurs with bright ideas, with impossible seeming ideas to come back to that idea of impossibility, but who make it work. And this is really, really inspiring. You have the same on the entrepreneur side. You have the same on the investor side, people who want to put money into those solutions. And so to answer your question, I mean, one uh, one of the solutions I can definitely talk about because it's uh, coming back to that science fiction aspect, the science fiction that isn't science fiction. Um, this is definitely one of the ones that looks a little bit um, out of this world. It's called Bound for Blue, and it is a solution for the maritime transport industry. It's a Spanish company, and they've just developed a retractable rigid wing sail now, wing sails, really, it's a sail that is that is more like an airplane wing, but it's used like a sail, and there's a structure that makes it go up and down, and it can be completely retracted and folded away in case of bad weather. Now, these structures can be put on boats, so just imagine these, you know, almost like you're taking a modern boat and you're making a big sailing boat out of it. It looks strange to us, right? Yeah. But the fact is that these are combined with an automated system that completely optimizes the the direction of the sail in terms of the wind and the weather and can save up to 40 percent 
of fuel. Now, why is this super important and super interesting? It's because the, the freight industry, the maritime industry, is one of the most polluting in the world. I mean, these huge freighters that go around the world, these huge boats, they use the nastiest, cheapest, and dirtiest of fossil fuels, which is called heavy fuel oil. And that stuff just, you know, pumps CO2, sulfurous oxides, um, nitrous oxides, and all sorts of nasty stuff into, into the environment in quantities that the car industry has yet to reckon with. So the interesting thing here, though, is regulatory, because in 2020, new regulations from the International Maritime Organization are going to come into play, and they're going to force these operators to switch to something called marine gas oil. That's essentially your more regular diesel fuel for boats. Now, that is way cleaner, but it's also a lot more expensive. Mm. That means that if these guys are going to change to that almost double the price fuel, how are they going to save enough costs to make up for that? A solution like the one presented by Bound for Blue could be one of those solutions. Because, you know, if you save 10 to 40 percent, that could just make up for that difference, or at least almost. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a payback time of about five years it can be retrofitted on existing vessels. There's technologies that have been inspired from aerospace technology and maritime technology. So the materials used are, are durable and they can resist the weather and the salt and all of that. So it is really interesting because it's completely out of this world, but it is, uh, has a clear impact. That's a, a great example. And it's really working with, because obviously the shipping industry is a, a quite a hidden but exceptionally impactful uh, part of daily life you know uh, a lot of what makes our daily life work is because the shipping industry works efficiently on some levels the area where it doesn't work efficiently is an environmental level and what we're talking about here is how do we make it that the, the efficiency that it does in terms of getting kind of our smartphone from the manufacturer in China to our desks in Europe or America or Australia very efficiently, how does is that matched in the way that it's uh, steamed across the oceans or in fact, in this case, uh, sailed across the oceans? And do you have any others that you'd just kind of like to give a little bit, a little bit of detail or high level information on? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that another industry that, that that commands a huge amount of resources is the building industry. And um, amongst that is, you know, steel is a huge component. And steel, making steel is a very costly and polluting process. Because just for your reference, about 300,000 liters of acid, nitric and hydrofluoric acid, are wasted per hour in the world in the pickling process to create steel. Now that's, you know, a huge amount of very, very toxic waste. Mm -hmm. And one of the solutions that um, has been deposited here is called RegMax. And they have created a, a, an acid regeneration system, which is using this, this acid waste and recycles it to use it again in a process that's called pickling uh, of the stainless steel. So, for example, you can take all that waste, you can reuse it to create new steel. And the beauty of it is that you use, and here we go for the facts, 99% less water, 100% reduction of the toxic sludge, and you actually reduce your operational cost by 91%. Now, of course... 
this is a solution that 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 you know might not yet be scaled at a at a global level but can you just imagine what the impact would be of a solution like that if you did so you know these are just some of those examples and and there are loads and this is an industry example if we're talking about materials we also have a solution a french entrepreneur who came up with a new type of re-engineered wood because he looked at the facts he said you know wood is a durable material but did you know that in france 50 percent of the trees that are being cut down in forests are just left to rot away and are not used yeah. and he said well what if we can go into the wood we can take out the cell walls, the lignin, which is basically pure air, and we can replace that with a bio-based polymer. We create a wood that is not only weatherproof, three times stronger and fireproof, but it is also translucent. So it has some really interesting applications, um, you know, for example, in facade work and could potentially replace steel and glass in some respect. So, you know, these are a few examples and you know I can go on <laughs> but I don't want to bore you <laughs> with all the details but it, it is coming back to this fact that uh, you get inspired and you get inspired by these entrepreneurs but you also get inspired by all these people that you work with and so far there isn't one person that I have come across um, you know that that has a you know a negative attitude or doesn't want to collaborate everything is about trying to create a win-win and trying to work together if we work together with accelerators um, who have a pipeline of fantastic solutions you know we try to onboard them into our program and for them you know we promote these solutions but we also try to generate solutions from our ecosystem to join their program and vice versa so this is really how we try to create win-wins all over the world and really on a truly global scale so Two fabulous examples, and actually, to be honest, I I would be quite happy to uh, keep on going, but I just uh, uh, I'm aware of like uh, the timescales that we've got. You've uh, we've got to be getting off in about five minutes because I know that you've got uh, meetings to go to and things. So I'm really appreciated for that really good summary there. And just uh, quickly, actually, how many solutions are you up to? And then, and do you have an idea of when you think you'll uh, be getting towards uh, reaching your thousand solutions? We have now an ecosystem of over 1,400 members, but those are not the solutions that have been labeled. Those are the members that have joined our ecosystem, which is, by the way, completely free of charge. You can just go on our website, create an account, and you are part of that movement. So I highly recommend that you do that if you're hearing this. And once, you know, if you're an innovator, you join, uh, then within your profile, you can say, hey, I want to deposit a solution. You click create a solution and that's where a process start where you go into more detail about what your solution is, why it's impactful, how it works, etc. And of those, there are about four to five hundred which are currently under evaluation. So there's huge traction. Um, and we have uh, now uh, 57, if I'm not correct, that have been published on the website. Um, so we still have a long way to go. But one of the things is that the evaluation is a thorough one. So it takes time. Yeah. I find it very hard to estimate when we will arrive at a thousand solutions. But it's also not sure that, you know, we would stop at a thousand solutions because there are more than thousands of solutions out there. And we want to continue to promote and work with entrepreneurs to to find those solutions and and, and bring them to the world. That's fantastic. And whilst it would be amazing for you to get to a thousand, I'd be almost disappointed if you didn't keep on and keep going to, I think probably I could see there's going to be easily 10,000 solutions out there, um, if not more. 
Absolutely. And just to kind of like finish this off, this on this kind of journey that we've gone through, tell me just a little bit about uh, Willem and uh, what was your personal journey to getting this job and what what's your day what does your day job involve that's given you so such kind of connection with these organisations? You know, I um, I grew up across the world. I I, I, I lived in, in in Belgium and Switzerland and Malaysia and Singapore and China, and um, I had the the huge privilege to go to uh, a school called the United World College in Singapore. It's a movement of, uh, I think, by now almost 20 schools across the world, and which really have this this vision of bringing um, young people from very different backgrounds together and um, inspiring them to become agents of you know positive change and, and very much focused on personal responsibility, integrity, compassion, respect also for the environment, idealism, and you know challenging yourself to put yourself out there and really make a change even people say it's impossible. Um, so very much inspired at a young age and and actually um, I had the you know because we had lived in Switzerland, um, my, you know, my parents knew about Bertrand Picard and we, uh, when he came to Singapore, actually in 2000, um, I was 16 years old and, um, uh, we obviously went to see this, this talk of his because he had just completed the round the world tour in a, in a hot air balloon. And for me as a 16 year old to be inspired by somebody uh, who is such a pioneer, um, and who was in his turn inspired by the pioneers who, who inspired him during his youth, that really changed my my life because I thought, you know, I really want to do something with this. And I started following everything that Bertrand was doing, trying to also apply as much as I could in my personal life, um, change, you know, my ways to, you know, make an effort for the environment, etc. And this is really where, where the journey started for me. Uh, but because I grew up across the world, I also was a little bit disoriented. Um, you know, I didn't have roots and I needed to go back to the Netherlands where I was from to really find out uh, and, and settle. And so that's what I did. So the first years of my studies, I actually went to study uh, Sinology. And um, because of my, you know, having lived in Asia, I was very much inspired in learning about Chinese culture. And I did that for, for a couple of years. Um, and then when I graduated, I decided to jump into a more communications job because I wanted to do, you know, I, I, I mean, it sounds such a, such a cliche, I'm a people's person, but I really like talking, as you might have noticed by now. And I really love just, you know, exchanging with people, exchanging ideas and, you know, from, from different backgrounds. So one of the things that I did is worked in London in communication and then in the Netherlands and in particular in financial communication. Um, which allowed me to discover the world of investments, um, which allowed me to, you know, play with that and understand that and having to sell the story about what it is, you know, that a financial instrument does and how, um, you know, it fits in the in the larger market story. And it's really in that light that I joined Solar Impulse because uh, an opportunity came about and I joined here. Uh, to really set up the investor side of the ecosystem. So when I talked about a thousand solutions, now that we're getting somewhere with with uh, you know uh, several dozen solutions already labeled, we're very much trying to bring in the investors, the investors that are looking to put money into game-changing innovations. So what we're going to be doing from now on in the se- in the several months to come is to attract investors to become members because you can become members 
a member of our alliance as an innovator. You can become a member as an investor or you can become a member as a corporate seeker of solutions or institutional seeker of solutions. So there, there are many hats you can wear. And so the investor is really uh, what we're trying to do now and we're in the process of developing a matchmaking platform within our website where people who are investors and members can look through that huge database of solutions and for example say hey i want to find out what the solutions are in wastewater management based in singapore and looking to raise between one and two million euros or dollars or whatever it may be so those kinds of tools are going to really create the visibility that the solutions need to be matched to the relevant investors and what we find is there is a desire to spend money people that say oh we have money we want to spend it but we don't know where and there is there are entrepreneurs that say hey you know, we have a great solution. We're looking for investment, but we can't find any. So it's really, well, if we're not doing the matchmaking ourselves, we're just creating tools that are that are allowing people to find each other within that ecosystem. Yeah. But we do want to fill that gap. So that is kind of, you know, the evolution of how I came to be inspired by Bertrand and how I uh, managed to join this amazing international team and what, what I do from a day-to-day basis. So if you are uh, an innovator or an investor, uh, or if you're looking for a solution to implement, I highly welcome you to join our ecosystem on our website, solarimpulse.com. So, sorry, that was a little promo talk there. <laughs> no, no, it's, I, I, I'd, I'd be disappointed if you hadn't have done that promo uh, as well. And, and obviously, all this information will be in the show notes that we have on, uh, which will be on the friendliest uh, podcast platform and also inspiring-sustainability.com. And so I think actually that has been a really great sort of dive into the wonderful ecosystem that you're creating at the Solar Impulse Foundation. And also it's lovely to hear, Willem, how you are engaging with that yourself and the journey that you took, um, inspired by Bertrand right at the, uh, the start of your uh, kind of personal uh, career, just 16. And uh, it's a brilliant story that you've got to there. Yeah, fun. You know, Adam, maybe maybe it is unless you want to add anything else, but maybe it is worth just ending on on a quote that uh, that Bertrand shared uh, uh, with me 18 years ago, which is there are only three things that are truly important in life: three characteristics to to master or qualities to have um, and to appropriate, which are curiosity, perseverance and respect and curiosity because it's this curiosity that's going to trigger your pioneering and explorative spirit. Um, the perseverance is, impo- is important because this is what's going to drive you to reach your goals and especially to go against those people that are, you know, surreptitiously reiterating how impossible it is what, what you're trying to achieve. And then finally the respect because you know, if you do not have respect for the people around you, the people you work with, the planet you live on, there is no way to turn your achievements in a greater force for good. So, you know, the, that that is what he shared on that day. And, and that really is something that I try to, you know, live by on a day to day basis. That's a fantastic ending to this podcast. Uh, really appreciate uh, your time and energy and uh, Fabulous that there is such a thing as the Solar Impulse Foundation out in the world helping us drive those game-changing technologies to deliver the inspiring sustainability solutions that we uh, need. So uh, thank you so much, Willem. Thank you, Adam. It was a pleasure.
And uh, thank you to the listeners for uh, listening with us. And I hope to have it that you can join us again on another show. And uh, obviously, please do get in touch with me uh, for feedback or comments through social media platforms, Adam Woodhall or Inspiring Sustainability. That's me now for today. Looking forward to connecting with you on the next podcast. Mm -hmm.